If I look at my success in the career of sales, I would say number one, financially, it's very, it was very good, very rewarding. But more importantly to me, it was the flexibility, the opportunity to use your entrepreneurial skills, to use your problem solving skills, and the flexibility. I said one of my biggest accomplishments I feel is a family. That all becomes the flexibility of the job, whereas actually to be at football games, softball games, band concerts, choir, whatever it might be, and it's that flexibility that drove the family and was financially rewarding to kind of wrap it all through. I'm Kristen Wisdorf. And I'm Libby Gladys. We're hosting the Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. There are almost 5,000 colleges and universities nationwide, and only about 200 have dedicated sales programs. We are finding the leaders of those programs to get a behind the scenes look at how they're prepping the next generation of sales stars. Join us as we talk about their own career journeys, what advice they have for students considering a future in sales, and insights into what every student needs to know for a sales career. The Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. Welcome back, Hustlers. We are at it again with another Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series podcast. I am your host, Kristen Wisdorf, and I have Madison Delisle joining me today. Hey there, everyone. And today we are very excited to have the director for the Sales Center at Northern Illinois, Chuck Howlett. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Kristen. We are very excited to have you. You know, both Madison and I are from the upper Midwest, so we like it when we can get someone from the Midwest on the podcast. Very excited to speak with you. It's fun to have you here, but you know, right now it's middle of winter and I don't (laughs) see in Chicago. So we have to work on that. We have to get you back into the Midwest. We do. Yes. I have become a bit of a winter baby since I left. But so Chuck, we like to start all of these episodes the same way. It's actually the same way we start all of our interviews with college students interviewing for our SDR role. And that is Chuck, can you give us your 60 second highlight reel overview? Tell us about you. Sure. 60 seconds for a guy my age might be difficult, but I'll try. I'm a farm kid from Iowa. Grew up in the Midwest, out in the cold and snow. Went to Iowa State University. Going to be a veterinary. That didn't work real well with chemistry. So I ended up getting in the business world. Had a few jobs. One selling herbicides in North Dakota, South Dakota. Moved to Indianapolis. Moved into the parent company with Eli Lilly and Company. And then had sales throughout my career of 33 years with the company. Landing to a point of early retirement and which said, sounded fantastic. And my wife said, you can retire as long as you're gone Monday to Friday, eight to five. And I had a chance then to go to Northern. I'd recruited there and I've been blessed with the interaction with the students over the last nine years, really learning more than probably I'm teaching, but uh, a great dynamic of helping them get into their sales careers. I love that. Okay, so like most people, you got into sales, even though it wasn't your original plan. I think a lot of people end up in sales at least five, 10 years ago or more. Um, Nowadays, people like you are obviously making it more of a reality for people out of college to go into sales and to prepare for it. But talk to us a little bit about that. Go back to when you graduated and you got into your first sales job and how it happened. Tell us that story. So I would obviously at Iowa State, I did an internship where I sold herbicides, a company called Elanco that's actually stood for Eli Lilly and Company, Elanco. So I grew up on a farm, so it was really going back into my roots and going and talking and talking to chemical dealers, co-op oils, elevators, and a lot of the folks, the customers that I talked to were my dad's age. So I had a chance to learn a little bit about their agriculture system in the Dakotas, but then more importantly, try to help them with the situation they had and help solve their problems. And it became one of those things in my first time, I think it's my first six months on the job, I'm working North Dakota and a farmer had a complaint and I said, I'll be right out. So I go out and walk his fields. And I said, you know, I'm a single guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay out until it's dark and then I'll go do something. 
Well, come to find out, I'm walking his field in North Dakota. It's 10 o'clock at night. I had no idea what time it was because it's light up there all summer. Yeah. I earned a reputation that, hey, call this guy. He'll be out to help us out. So that was one of the first positives that I had in the sales side. That's exciting. Okay. So you worked for a company that ultimately was Eli Lilly, and you ended up spending 33 years with them for your career? Correct. That is incredible. What were some of the most surprising things when you started your sales career and as you transitioned? I mean, I'm sure the company, I'm sure your role, I'm sure sales changed a lot over that time. Yeah, because I, you know, growing up on the farm, I knew that with uh, my family, I was not going to go back and be a farmer because I was the youngest of four kids. So going into school, I knew I was going to have to find something to do. And kind of one of those things that just you kind of fell into it. You enjoyed the people you were with. You enjoyed what you were doing. And when I started working in the Dakotas, I got a chance to wear a beard as a young kid. So I felt like I was pretty, pretty cool. But more importantly, then I got to meet some of the upper management people. You just did your job, you know. So I'm looking at my sales kids now. It's like, just do your job, what you're supposed to do. And there's good things happen. And don't worry about what's happening six months from now or a year from now. And I got that. I got some opportunities. One job led to another inside marketing to outside to a little bit of market research and all opportunities to interact with different types of customers. Yeah, I love what you just said. Just do your job. Good things will happen. Don't worry about six months, a year from now. I say that all the time, especially, you know, I think the first couple jobs or years out of college, students are obviously, especially sales students, they're very hungry and they want to see those promotions and they want to see their career develop. And of course, those are the right people for the job. But I think sometimes they get more focused on what's next versus really perfecting what they're doing now and knowing that if you just work really hard six months from now, or a year from now, that really good thing will happen. What are your thoughts on, I guess, it's almost like we want impatient salespeople, but we also want patience as well. That's a very good question because everybody wants the next thing and you want to keep looking ahead. What's next? What's next? And sometimes my mom always would say, you know, stop and smell the roses along the way. And I always laughed at her when I was younger, but now as I get to be my age, I'm like, I understand that you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to enjoy the people you're with. Everybody has situations and problems and you can, if you can help them find out what their problem is and help solve it, better off. We're all better as humans trying to do that and and actually helping each other versus arguing about something that may in the long term not make as much difference. Definitely. And I, I'm super curious. I've wondered this for a while, but I don't know why I haven't asked anyone. I would love to hear what you think or what your opinion is on why nowadays people aren't staying in jobs for decades the way it was like when you started is that just how the industry is do you think it's more the way generations have been what do you think the big change has been to make that a thing i could say yes to all the above i mean i don't know it's just one man's opinion but when i went to work for alanco lily i didn't really think that i was going to be with any other company that's just my mom and dad me with the personal values raised me that way but my dad was a farmer and it wasn't like he was going to change jobs every two years, you know, so it became one of those things. that's like you find somebody that you really treats you well and you enjoy your job and it kind of just happened. One thing that I've tried to instill in my sales classes and we do a case study in the class that the students are getting ready to graduate in three months. They have three job offers that they're looking at. They're looking at an inside sales and outside different salary, different salary types, commissions, and they have different dates they have to get back to recruiters about. So I get them in the group and they talk through which one. And I said, oh, by the way, you have one more interview. It's your dream job. So before you decide what you want to do, figure out what you want. 
So what they're spending their time on is really thinking, what do they want in a job? Where are their personal values? Do they run after the highest dollar? Do they go after geography or where family lives? What's the culture of the company? And more that I've seen in the last six months is just the students are looking at companies. There's some great opportunities right now, especially where the, the market is, but they're looking and saying, I want to go to a place that really has the culture that I want, the philanthropic. And I'm trying to get them to make a decision that it's not a six month or 12 month. It's a career. And everybody's brought up differently. But what I'm trying to say is to find someplace that really fits your values and grow within that system. And to me, it's it's a lot less stress. <laughs> if you've got people that are supporting you and you enjoy your job and everything is you know, well, life happens and everything is really, really solid the whole time through. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Yeah, no, it definitely did. <laughs> Very similar question from when you first got into sales to now. How has sales itself changed in your perspective? I think when I started compared to now, our buyers are really smart. They have a thing called internet that they know a lot about the company. They know a lot about the products. And in, in even us, when we go shopping, I'm probably 75% know what I want before I even talk to anybody, if I need to talk to anybody. So I think that means that an idea of, you know, I know Barry talked about it from Washington, about everybody thinks a salesperson is just somebody that's out there trying to sell you something you don't need. It's those people, they're probably out there, but I don't spend time with them because I would rather really understand how I can help that person out and have a long-term partnership, a long-term relationship, and really be a problem solver and a partner moving forward versus a one-time and done kind of thing. Absolutely. I think those maybe aren't the type of salespeople who last or stand the test of time. So that's really good. Okay. So you have this amazing career in sales and you started off kind of doing something that you felt comfortable with, right? Going and visiting farms, which is kind of nice. So I'm very curious. I'm sure you have a lot of stories over the time, whether it was on a farm or as your career transitioned. I want to hear some of those juicy details, some of those fun stories. So are there any sales experiences, whether you actually got the deal or not, that you look back on and you were like, wow, that really taught me a lesson or that still sticks with me all this time later. Yeah. How long do we have? We got a lot of stories. <laughs> to tell, I would say one, one of my biggest transitions, I said I was going to be a veterinary and I started selling herbicides. So as I moved in my career, I ended up getting in the pharmaceutical business. So the agriculture market, when I was there, had an overabundance of managers. So there's no opportunities for me. So I moved to the pharmaceutical side. All sounds good. I felt like I was relatively smart. But the idea of going from selling herbicides to farmers versus selling a drug, a medicine, a pharmaceutical with some of the most intelligent people in the world and physicians was a little intimidating. So my biggest challenge that I had was product knowledge. It's like, what are these products do? How do they work in a system? And Madison, how they work in you versus Kristen may be completely different. You don't know. So I'm booking this thing and I've got trying to figure this thing out. I figured I've got it all covered after the sales training. So I'm now the smartest person ever made. I get into my first office and here's where the story is. The opportunity is the doctor looks at me and I've got my manager with me and he says, tell me a little bit about your product versus another product. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, I have no idea what the answer is, but it's on page 31 of the training module, left side, bottom paragraph. I highlighted it 16 times so I wouldn't forget it. We laughed and I'm starting to sweat. And they said, okay, well, what about the product compared to another antibiotic that we were selling? And I'm like, that's on page 32, bottom of the right side there as well. Let me get back to you. I know I can get back to you, but the idea of thinking you know it and then putting you into that really kind of information really resonated with me that you got to know your product. And if you're not there and you can't represent your product, you don't need to be there. My boss, I asked him, I said, how come you didn't jump in and help me in this? Because 
I knew I didn't know it. He said, that's the way you learn, which I might have disagreed with because that would at least help me coach through it. But yeah, it really resonated with me. Like you got to understand this thing, test yourself, do different role plays, challenge yourself and, and get this thing. So you're delivering information to a customer that has value and is truthful. Yeah, that is a good story. And obviously, while it probably didn't feel good at the time, it has stuck with you. And I'm sure you teach your students that nowadays as well. So it's interesting, you know, we have a lot of, we hire into high tech and we're talking enterprise level technology and a lot of, you know, our students who come here right after college, they are really worried about not knowing all of the nitty gritty and the details about the technology, which is very interesting, right? You know, sitting across from that physician, you're not a physician, you're never going to be a physician. And our sales reps know sitting across from a chief technology officer that they're not a chief technology officer. So how do you like balance, especially educating sales folks, how do you balance, you know, knowing your product inside and out and being confident and ready, but also knowing that you're talking about things that maybe you didn't go to school for? Right. I think that's a good question. I think what I learned from the physician interaction is I need to know my product better than the doctor did in this case. Mm -hmm. She has all these other products and they know lots about all of these but I need to be the specialist in my specific product and be aware of the other products, but I need to be that specialist. On the second side of that question was more, it's okay not to know. And if you don't know, find out and get back to them. I think there's a lot of industry trends I saw in the pharmaceutical that people would say, yeah, I'll follow up with you next week or next Tuesday or whatever. I don't know what the percentage is, but 70, 80% never followed back up. So that small number of just showing up, the 20% that show up, suddenly you have credibility because you're trying to help business to be able to move from that regard. That's so absolutely true. And the honesty too, of being honest and vulnerable. I don't know, but I'll get back to you. So is there a sales transaction, an actual sales win, a deal that you did that you are most proud of in your career over all that time? Yeah, the one that sticks out to me that, again, I was in the pharmaceutical business, so I ended up then moving into manager roles and I had to move to, to Birmingham, Alabama. And I was the manager in charge of uh, managed Medicaid. So when TenCare came into place back in the, I think it was probably in the 80s, 90s. So all the managed care organizations moved into this Medicaid and nobody knew anything. Everybody was trying to figure it out. And I was fortunate to be in a spot where I became one of the experts as far as the Medicaid in Tennessee, because I called on all these MCOs around the state and I became a specialist in this. And so they were calling me to say, hey, I don't understand how this works. So I was still a, a pharmaceutical company, but I was there as a partner to try to make them work. And then to complicate it, the pharmacy benefit manager was in Rhode Island. So they were taking the pharmacy benefit managers from the state of Tennessee to manage it. And I'm based out of Indianapolis. So it became all this. But where it really resonated to me is I could help a lot of people along the way, not only the managed care and to share ideas, but also then share with the company saying, hey, here's how this thing is rolling out in the Clinton administration. And then from the, the other companies, I became the guy that really could kind of broker deals a little bit and try to make sure everybody kind of knew. And that was very beneficial to me. In fact, I proposed to my company buying one of the pharmacy benefit management companies. And we had everybody in the corporate office with the president of Lilly. And it was like, wow, this is kind of fun. We didn't go through with it, but at least that opportunity was really when that I felt like I was really customer centric and really trying to help the business along the way. Definitely. And obviously being customer centric is a huge piece of being successful in a lot of roles that deal with customers, but especially sales, what would you say would be like your biggest tip or like your golden rule when it comes to 
dealing with customers and clients in a sales role? What would you say like the number one thing to remember or do is? If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. The other person's a person that's a relationship. I think instead of thinking we're trying to do something to a customer, it's doing for the customer and really having that conversation and making it a win-win. I would be the first one to say that if my product doesn't fit for you, I don't want you to buy it. It doesn't make sense for you because we've all bought things and came back and home and had buyer's remorse and say, that's not the right thing. But I, I would say going in and usually, especially in the pharmaceutical industry, we're tainted because we're pharmaceutical people or you're tainted because of this. We all have background and baggage we bring to it. So the quicker we can strip that off and become just a, hey, let's talk about as humans, try to figure out the best way to solve this and make it work for both of us is, in my opinion, the best way to go through with it. You know, it's interesting when you were telling your story about how, you know, your most memorable deal, right? And you said you had suggested potentially buying that company and it became a whole conversation. And I think that sometimes young people forget the type of business impact that being in sales and can really have and the foundation that it can take you. It might not always just be getting contracts signed, but it really is a foundation for a career in general. What do you think are the biggest like misconceptions you're fighting with young people or students on what sales can do for them or what sales is for a career or role? I think some new salespeople think that sales is the the sexy thing. You can earn a lot of money and you don't have to have a lot of bosses. You just kind of go. And sure, if you're creating Facebook or you know Google or whatever else, that might be it. But the idea of really understanding, again, kind of where you go. And I think in that situation I described with the Medicaid is the idea of networking with those individuals. Because I got to know all these people in that industry in the state of Tennessee. And whether it's tomorrow or a year and a half or three years from now, You've got that relationship and network to be able to better facilitate, you know, whatever, because every every company changes products. The ones that we had were really good at some point. Some it wasn't the right fit. I would say this, I would not recommend putting this on the formulary because this is a better fit for you. But I would try to really work that through. And it, the whole thing is just creating that network of people that you can spend time with a year, two years, 20 years from now and continue to try to provide them the value for their, in this case, the patients. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your sales program and what you've done with the sales center. How are you keeping, I guess, sales fresh? You just mentioned, you know, I think, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions now is people's thought on what sales is. And I'm sure five years ago, there were totally different misconceptions on what sales was. How do you stay fresh, continue to update and kind of keep sales content relevant? Because I'm sure this, what, like you said, Customers have more information, they have the internet, sales and how to sell and how to, even though it's just talking to people, 
it's kind of evolved over the last several years, especially. What do you do with your students and in your program? Let me answer your first question. That was more like, what has changed in five years? Sometimes I don't know if it's changed because people still think the salesman's bad is that has a dirty term and we're doing things again to people versus working with them. Two things we've done at Northern, one is in the process. I've been working with the College of Engineering because here are some very smart technical people and they do technical sales, but they don't understand necessarily some of the communications. So that one's ongoing. The one that I'm starting to have some some really good impact on is a, a class that we're doing at the 600 level, the Masters of Accounting. So this current semester, I've got 24 students, all accountants, and they're taking a sales class. And the opportunity to them to understand how that all works. The initial thing is like, why are you in this class? I, I want to learn communication. I don't want to be a salesman. And the more they get through the sales process, understanding the discovery all the way down to answering objections and handling problems like this, they get to have a good appreciation for it. Then I put them in a role play. So I've got accountants selling the accountancy program to sponsors. And it's not even a program, but the idea that they know the product. So have that conversation. And when they get done with it, they're like, huh, sales isn't as hard as I thought it was, or I have another appreciation for it. And understanding the impact that it has on, in this case, the accountant world or the revenue stream of that, it's mind opening or mind blowing as far as the, to see how these things all work. Because any company, you don't have sales. Sometimes you have sales, you have marketing, you have all these components, but you got to draw it all the way, whether it's enablement or whatever you want to call it, is to try to get these guys to all work together for the benefit of the customer. So that's some of the things I've done to try to do that. In the class of undergraduates, there is just the exposure to the corporations like yourself to understand what you guys are doing, what other companies are doing, and seeing your sales training programs. When I came into the academic side about nine years ago, I thought there's only one way to sell because that's what I've been for my career. And to see all the different companies, all the different tech worlds or placement firms or enterprise, Adobe, whatever it might be, they all have very similar sales programs. And you may highlight one or the other, but that's where I get the continue to evolve is trying to stay fresh and update with people like Memory Blue. Yeah. And from my understanding, from our conversations previously, NIU's sales program is, if not the oldest, one of the oldest programs in the U.S., correct? Are you saying I'm the oldest? No. no <laughs> um, I, I believe, and I don't know if I'm 100% accurate on this, but I think Baylor might have been one of the first ones back in 1985. And I think NIU was probably in the top couple in the late 80s, and, and Stephen Castleberry developed it at that period of time. So it's morphed over the last, what's that, 30, 35, 40 years. My gosh, that's been a while. Yeah. So the reason I ask is your program does some things that I've never seen in the other programs that we've worked with previously. One thing in particular is the Sales on Wheels course. I would love for you to kind of explain what that is and then why that was something that got developed because it is very unique and interesting. Well, thanks. That was a fun little project. I just come to Northern Illinois and I saw one of the objections a lot of students have was relocation. And they didn't want to get too far out of Chicago or quite frankly, out of Cal because of family or whatever the scenario may be. And we had two students that turned down jobs, one in Louisville, Kentucky, and one in Milwaukee, because they were far from where they lived. First of all, Milwaukee's not that far, and Louisville's yeah. not. <laughs> so it's like, there's got to be some kind of discussion we need to have on relocation. So I threw the idea of out of, why don't we, could we do something to put them on a bus and just get them to some of these areas and see it? And we developed it into a course that I affectionately call Sales on Wheels. But uh, it's during the intercession, after classes are out in the fall and before Christmas, we jump on the bus on Sunday 
and we end up going down through south side of Chicago to Indianapolis and over to St. Louis and back. We travel about a thousand miles. We generally hit about seven or eight companies. So I take 24 kids on a bus and take them into a corporate environment to have them see what these companies are all about. During that time, I focused a little bit because I'm a dad and I know the kind of questions I get from my daughter. We spend a little bit of time on personal finance and what's a budget is and what's how does insurance fit into this whole thing and how do these benefits play when these companies say, well, we've got medical benefits or we have extra vacation time. So I tried to, in my mind, say, I want to put you in a situation to be a salesperson for a week. So we're going to get up at seven o'clock and have dinner or excuse me, dinner, have breakfast and then move throughout the day, have a lunch with another customer finish uh, with a dinner with somebody. So I kept them up between, for me, from seven to about eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And of course, as we all are, it's like, I want to go out and explore these cities. So usually by Wednesday night, mostly everybody is dead tired. So when people get real tired, you get really emotional. And all of a sudden you see the the whole team dynamic change. And I don't like you and I've had tears and everything else. But by Wednesday night, Thursday, and into Friday, people come to respect each other. You come to like a team does, you have that norming and storming and forming. And at the end of Friday, our biggest customer for this trip was Enterprise. And they had to present in the boardroom with the CEO, along with all the HR people. And they had to present things about what kind of salary types are these? What does life insurance mean? What's relocation work? So I put them in a whole scenario over a week to really get an idea of who they are, what they want, and just how these companies to look at it. My goal was to really help the students understand when they make a decision, like go to work for you guys, understand the benefits, understand what this is, and don't just go into it because it seems like a good thing to do. But I've had a, a terrific time. I've done it six years, about 24, so about 125 to 150 students. And that is really like a transformative kind of experience where they learn and they network with all these companies and have a wonderful time of meeting each other. So the kids on the bus, when you're seven days, 24 hours a day, you get to know each other pretty well. That is coolest thing and so valuable. It's one thing to join a sales class or sales program and to have role plays, which is the closest thing to preparing yourself, but to be gone for a week and actually travel with people, have long days, have the stress and the emotion that goes with life after school. It is so, so valuable. And that's amazing. You are preparing your students and in more ways than you know. And the personal finance, benefits, insurance, that's all stuff like you think back and I'm like, how come I never learned this? Why did I have to like graduate college and have a couple jobs before I figured out what my 401k really was and how important it was? So yeah, no, exactly. I, I end up going to a lot of my friends that have worked with me over the course of my 30 year career. And I said, hey, would you be willing to come in and spend an hour? So it became a lot of my friends, Chuck's friends, along with seven or eight different companies. I will say that it took me probably close to a week to uh, actually get my sleep pattern back after spending time in the field with 24, 20-year-olds. Yeah. And like Kristen said, it's super cool. My university, I went to Marquette, didn't even develop a sales program until a few years after I graduated. So I didn't even get the chance to experience any program. But I would love to know how you go about picking where you take the students for these trips. And doing it in December. I originally, I've only done it to the same location each time. So it first of all came with our biggest sponsors. So we went to the biggest sponsors that are supporting the program. So this was a chance for them to recruit 24 students during that interim period. So that's how it worked. And then it became how far can I drive in Chicago in December without getting caught in storms? So knock on wood, only one time we got hit by ice down by St. Louis. 
So that's kind of how we got there. We have looked about taking a bus trip down to the Kansas City area around there through Des Moines, maybe up to Minneapolis. And it kind of just depends on our sponsors and just how much planning and prep we want to do. Now, on top of that, we also started doing a second program that's actually going to come by the time we hear this in, in March is going to be a Silicon Valley trip where another professor is taking a group of 15 kids and they're going out to the Silicon Valley to talk to some folks on the tech world and see a chance. And we're hopefully going to see a chance to stop in at Memory Blue where they've got Adobe, they've got San Francisco Giants, Wells Fargo and, and some other entrepreneurial kind of companies. And they're doing something different where I stayed in a, like a Marriott, they're staying in a hostel. So they're getting opportunity to understand life, right? And do the culture as well as just the jobs because it's more than just a job. Well, the hostel is about right as it relates to how expensive it is in the Bay Area. So that is real life experience once again, which is great. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about your program. What do you do as far as recruiting goes to get more students? I know you're working with the accounting program and the engineering program, which is so smart because, again, this is the foundation for really a career outside of sales as well. What roadblocks do you hit? Is it parents and influencers? Is it time? Like, how do you get students involved in your program? And what are the common roadblocks you see in them joining? Yeah, that, Kristen, is one of the biggest challenges that I have that every two years, uh, the whole student body changes over. So if I don't have some kind of golden thread pulling freshmen and sophomores into the junior, senior classes, I missed. During COVID, we missed. It was very difficult to try to have a commonality and have conversations when everybody's on a screen. So we have uh, we started it two years ago and then didn't do it. So this coming year, we're going back and saying, well, there's four classes they take to get the sales certificate. One of them is the principles of selling. So we're going into that 350 level and we have about 180 students at that level. And we're trying to bring my 450 class in there to become mentors. So I've got a little bit of role play going on and helping them and assimilate a little bit. And actually, they're getting graded by the 350 instructors for their participation. And the 350 kids are being graded by the 450 students as they have those interactions. And then we're putting together a social. We're doing a, one of the local places there in DeKalb. We're trying to get together and do a mixer of a meet and greet. So try to get that commonality. Salespeople like to talk. They like to have potential beverages. It could be Cokes. It could be a beer, whatever. So an opportunity to really try to, to see how much fun it is in the department, see the kind of colleges and opportunities they have on this one. So that's one of the things we've done. We're also doing something at the sophomore level to try to get this group that have, they, they think of sales as a used car salesman, like we've talked about. What can we do to see have them see the opportunities? So I'm becoming more involved in that 200 level. We're gonna have, we're giving away caramel popcorn so you can pop on in and understand about sales and try to do things on the campus to keep it fun we also have put an Instagram together. So we're trying to do as many things there and making sure we're supporting other organization. Heck, the head coach at Northern Illinois, Tom Hammock, is a program alumni. So whatever I can do to keep him bringing people from the athletic area in, it's all the better. So like any good sales, we need to fill the top of the funnel. And right now my funnel has kind of been drying up a little bit. So I got to fill that back up again. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's the same thing here at Memory Blue. We have a very unique program where people elevate out of the kind of entry level sales role. And so your alumni are so important and using those upperclassmen is such a good idea. And the mentorship, kind of that relationship is preparing them for life after college as well, which is great. Yeah, it's been fun because I've seen, I mean, you see a lot of relationships in my small class of 25, 24 students, they become each other's executive counsel in the years to come. They get to know each other in a family kind of format. And five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, 
I've got people that have come back and said, well, I met my wife at the class or my best man is I talk to him every week. So those kind of relationships are, you can't change them. They're just, yeah. they're just really, really solid. Totally. So there are, you know, some listeners who don't have the luxury of going to a college with a sales program like yours. What advice would you give to someone, whether they're still in college or maybe a couple years out of college, who can't join a sales program with their university if they want to learn about sales or kind of self-educate? What ideas, suggestions would you have for those people? It's a good question. I mean, uh, in my case, at Iowa State, they didn't have a sales program. Now they do. But I would say looking at the people that are successful in your community and what they do and become a mentor, become an apprentice and, and reach out and, and just make connections with folks and understand how they've done it. Because if you meet one person, they're going to open the doors to two or three other people. And whether you call it pyramid hopping or whatever, try to get that exposure if it's something that you really, really want to do. There's all kinds of books. There's all kinds of videos. And there's a, a gentleman I work with. He said, we're not any smarter if I'd never have been illiterate unless I read books and people I meet. So the more I can read, the more I can meet more people, the better I'm going to be and become a better salesperson to move forward. Universities are a good, good place, but I think the companies also have some terrific sales programs because you have to train your sales people too. So regardless of where you go, there's opportunities to, to interact. And it may just be a family thing where you have experiences in the family and you can, again, apprentice that and make it go from there. Absolutely. All right. We've got some fun, kind of quick, fast questions for you. <laughs> Don't overthink it. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of these sales related, some of them not. What do you think is your proudest atypical accomplishment? Atypical accomplishment. <laughs> my biggest accomplishment in my life is my family. So I don't know if that's the answer you're going for, but been married for 40 years, have two kids, have three grandkids. There's nothing more proud than seeing them and seeing the growth they do. That's amazing. That's incredible. Okay. So let's see here. Another one. Who is the most influential person in your life? Oh man, there's so many. I don't know if anybody really sticks out, but I would probably be remiss to say I wouldn't be where I am without my wife who's been around for 40 years. I've really only closed two sales in my life. One is with my wife and the other is the first job I got because I only had one job. So I'm two for two on closing. I'm going to have to stop there. But you know, she's been one that's kept me balanced. And I never forget the situation. I had a job that I didn't really think I was doing fine, but she said, you're not having fun in your job. Why do you do it? I'm like, well, it's money. It's like, well, when did you ever work for money? And she really held myself accountable. And I think that kind of person, whether it's a mentor, a friend, or your spouse is, a, is somebody you have to have. I have a question. Chuck, what feeling would you say is stronger for you? Loving to win or hating to lose? I'm laughing because I asked my class that yesterday. Really? Oh, wow. I absolutely love to win, but I take more to heart, I think, in failing, whatever the other one was. I hate to lose because I don't care if I lose as long as I've given it my best effort to be able to really say, you know what? This guy beat me. This gal beat me. That's fine. But if I can come back and say I didn't prepare or I wasn't ready, that kills me. So, yeah, I love the jubilation of winning. But after that, it's like I'm not going to brag about winning and move on to the next thing. But it's like, how can I self-develop myself in that second part of it? Yeah, you, you're not going to brag about winning because you're just going to go focus on trying to win again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, Chuck, what would you say your superpower is? My superpower what I really enjoy doing, I think I do it relatively well, is probably putting teams together. You see the classmates that I have, even in my teams, I would try to put teams together that would complement each other's strengths versus everybody the same. 
So I had a lot of success in the sales industry of building a team that was very dynamic, but also diverse. And that I think is, it was fun for me to do to try to put together a team that really complements each other. Okay, we'll wrap up with this, Chuck. You have an illustrious sales career. <laughs> you run the sales program or the sales center at NIU. So why do you think people should consider a career in sales? If I look at my success in the career of sales, I would say number one, financially, it's very, it was very good, very rewarding. But more important to me was the flexibility, the opportunity to use your entrepreneurial skills, to use your problem solving skills and the flexibility. I said, one of my biggest accomplishments I feel is a family. That all becomes the flexibility of the job, whereas actually to be at football games, softball games, band concerts, choir, whatever it might be. And it's that flexibility that drove the family and was financially rewarding to kind of wrap it all through. Yeah, that's great. Well said and why a lot of people get into sales and it continues to remain, even though sales may have changed a lot over the last 30 years, those things still run true. So we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. We are really, really excited by some of the things you're doing with your Huskies there at NIU and keep doing it. Hopefully we can see some of your students in Silicon Valley. We do have an office there and we appreciate your time, Chuck. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed the time at Memory Blue. Memory Blue alumni, are you looking for your next top performing SDR with the competitive drive, hustle mentality, and passion for sales that you can bank on? The Rising Stars program connects accomplished Memory Blue SDRs with alumni looking to expand their teams. Rising Stars have completed their SDR journey with us and are chomping at the bit to land a new and exciting high-tech sales opportunity. They've been professionally trained, coached, and mentored thriving in the very environment where you launched your career. Alumni like you hire Memory Blue Rising Stars because they can rest easy knowing they're hiring the best in the business. Learn how you can access this unique pool of sales talent by heading to memoryblue.com slash alumni.